Welcome back to the Original Gangsters Podcast. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato here with my co-conspirator, Scott Bernstein. Hey, now. And uh, before we get started, just want to remind everyone, please subscribe to our show and follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Like our content, spread the good word. And in many ways, this show we're going to do today, episode as a reflection of how you interact with us on social media. So please continue to do that. We've had people contact us and ask for specialized episodes, maybe an episode on Buffalo, which we ran last week, more episodes on Outlaw Bikers. We did that a few weeks ago. If you want more episodes about Philly, more episodes about New York, you want more drug cartels, just let us know. Interact with us on social media, and we'll, we'll try to get on that. And we've had some people contact us on social media and ask for an episode where we specifically focus on Canada and we, and we've talked about Canada and in other context, other episodes, but just to do a whole episode on Canada, organized crime, traditional organized crime in Canada, Hamilton, Montreal, that's what we're going to do today. And I, and just to tease it and we can get to it, you know, in, in a little bit, but patting myself on the back here, uh, I broke a pretty big story, uh, this last week that's getting a lot of traction with, uh, Canadian media outlets. I think that's where we should start. Let, let's yeah. use that as the point of the point of departure, and then we'll we'll back we'll walk back and unpack it. But let, let's start with your story in Gangster Report because that was really when I read that I thought let, this is the time now to do a Canada episode. Well, why, so. don't, why don't you start with just give the audience like a like a quick ninety second two minute synopsis of what's happened in the last twelve years down uh, out down in Canada up in Canada. Well, the you have the Rizzuto crime family in Montreal, and um, Vito Rizzuto was the Don, and there was a lot of stability there, at least among the Italians. For about 25 years. Yeah, and um, it was a hostile takeover, though, and I think that's important because that, that the, the chickens came home to roost eventually. <laughs> well, let, well, so let people know that Vito Rizzuto, who was the, the John Gotti of Canada, the face of the franchise, if you will, of the mafia— uh, in the Great White North, um, his father had successfully taken over uh, the Montreal faction of the Sicilian Mafia back in the late 70s with a, a coup of his own, um, passed the torch to, to his, uh, his son. His son, again, became the, the most prominent organized crime figure uh, in the country from, you know, the early 90s uh, into the 2000s. And when you say John Gotti, it, it, it really, he's not just, it's not just like a, a metaphor. I mean, like he stylishly carried, he carried, he carried, himself. He carried himself like that. He was fine, suit, you know, silks, expensive suits, his hair slicked back. He was like out about on the town. Yeah, viewed himself <laughs> as a dignitary. Yeah, right, right. Um, Pretty slick guy. So he goes to prison um, first in, two, in the mid-2000s. Uh, in Canada, and then eventually gets uh, sent to a, a an American prison for his role in a Bonanno crime family infamous triple homicide from 1981 that was depicted in the movie Donnie Brasco. The, the three, three captains, yeah, hit. three captains hit. And um, while he is being, I mean, like literally, like as he's being sent from his prison cell in Canada where he was still able to control what was going on in the streets there from the mid 2000s to about 2009. Almost the second he leaves 
the country and is placed into, uh, uh, I believe it was a Supermax yeah. in, in Colorado yeah, it was. in 2009, his uh, right hand, his, his de facto underboss, uh, Reynard Desjardins, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name. Desjardins. Desjardins, uh, who was French-Canadian, uh, teams up with a deported New York mob boss, Sal Montagna, and launches an offensive on a, 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 a incarcerated Rizzuto um, thousands of miles away with, with no way to retaliate. And he doesn't just go after his crime family. He goes after his actual blood family and starts murdering um, members of, of his immediate uh, members of his immediate family are, are gunned down. His son, his brother-in-law, his father. And this, the domino effect uh, from about 2009, which, which still has yet to cease. Uh, dominoes are still falling. 13 years later, we've had hundreds of, and that's not an exaggeration, hundreds of fatalities due to this conflict, which, and Jimmy, give a little perspective here. That is, it started in Montreal, it started with the Rizzutos, uh, but it's like blood in the water, and then all of a sudden, the Canadian underworld, which had been pretty organized, uh, and and all the networking was very fluid, uh, ha has suddenly been muddled, and there are now, f like, I, I feel like there are two dozen sub-factions of factions of factions that are now in play, and it, it, by the mid-2010s, late-2010s, it, it had made it, the, the war had made its way into Ontario, Toronto, and Hamilton, and that's where some of the, the news that I'm going to break in a second. But, Jimmy, kind of, what, what's your perspective on, like, how, you know, the ripple effects, how it started with one family in Montreal and then all of a sudden the entire country's gangland orbit is turned upside down. Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty interesting from a criminological perspective because um, Vito Rizzuto was the center of the universe, the nexus of that universe. Not only was there relative stability among the different Italian factions, but he was he had good relationships with the bikers, the Irish gangsters, uh Colombians, Haitian, Haitians. Haitians. He had, um, uh, you know, was c close to the cartels in South America. He's also very close with the mafia in Sicily. And and he's still, at least early on, was a made member of the Bonanno crime family. So he was, he was, you know, connected to New York. So he's really the center of the universe, and I think that has a lot to do with the stability. And once you remove him... It, it sort of reminds me of a parallel that we see in places like, um, you know, not to get geopolitical here, but a place like Iraq, where you remove, <laughs> you remove the strong man. I think it's, keeps a, everything a together. it's a legitimate <laughs> right. comparison. Yeah, I mean, he was the strong man holding it together. You, you take him out, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, it's a shit show. So, so now there are factions at war with each other that are like— uh, spin-offs of spin-offs yeah. of what the Rizzutos were. Right. So guys that really now that are at war with each other had nothing to do with the actual war that erupted 2009, but because of the ripple effects, they're now involved in yeah. it 13 years later fighting the war on different different fronts. Right. So then you have, you have these groups that emerged that were just opportunistic, that weren't part of that original conflict, but are like, hey, 
Um, there's real, this is ripe for the taking. So now they're going to get involved. And then also factions who were united against Rizzuto then start turning on themselves. Right. Desjardins and Montana. Right, so Desjardins <laughs> and Montana. Right. Fall out. Montana's murdered by Desjardins in, right. I think, 2011 or 12. Yeah. Was it earlier? Was maybe, it 2009? Maybe 10. I, I don't Double check it. Uh, and then you have Vito Rizzuto comes Two, out. 2011. You're right. He's deported in 2009, killed in 2011. Vito Rizzuto comes out of prison in 2012. And <laughs> not surprisingly, he goes on a scorched earth campaign against right. people that he feels went against him. And there's a whole other slew of gangland homicides of former Rizzuto allies and confidants that he put murder contracts on. Some that he chased all the way to uh, Mexico and yeah. Sicily and right. Yeah, guy, there were guys hit in Sicily and yeah. Mexico. Yeah, uh, and then he and then revenge he, killings. And then a year later, he dies under somewhat suspicious circumstances. Uh, I think it's most likely it was a, a, an aggressive form of cancer that came on and, and killed him. But there has been some speculation, and I'm I'm not going to dismiss it that uh, he was possibly poisoned. Well, there's a lot of people that would want to take him out. But he died you know? in 2013, and again, that was that's almost 10 years ago, and the violence has has not even come close to stopping. Yeah, because the the uh, timing of it, I'm just being speculative, of course, because we don't know. But he 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 comes out, he he launches this counteroffensive, as you talked about. Guys are getting clipped in retaliation. If he doesn't get sick, they, he might have been able to weather the storm. But then he, he he dies of natural causes or whatever, and then right away, um, now the other factions who were on the run <laughs> are empowered to come back and re like keep this conflict going. And then not to mention the vultures, like I said, other people who are opportunistic, who are like, hey, it's so, up for grabs now. And this biblical gangland struggle uh, that is happening happening north of the border is really not getting any coverage uh, in, in the U.S. press. Um, but I do believe, and this, this is going to segue into the news that I reported this week, I do believe that there are and, and have been forces in the American La Cosa Nostra, uh, forces in the, uh, the mafia in the United States, that are playing some role. Um, I'm not exactly sure... You know, to get granular on it, I can't tell you exactly who's puppeting who and who's got their hooks into who, but I, I'm pretty confident that the the five families in New York, the Magadino crime family, um, especially them in in uh, in Buffalo, possibly even the Detroit and Chicago crime families. I I have no evidence of that. Um, not that they're uh, playing a role with, uh, you know, sending resources, but uh, maybe sending word, uh, what the hell's going on over there, <laughs> like tamp things down. So there's always been a working relationship between the U.S. Uh, organized crime groups and, and the Canadian organized crime groups. Um, or I shouldn't say always, but dating back to the, the 50s, uh, at least, it's been, it's been uh, very official. 
in the sense that the Bonanno set up shop uh, in Montreal in the 50s. Yeah, and I, I want to I unpack that with those different families. Do you want to talk about the story first or? Whatever, you, you, you call it. Let's, let's do the story first. Okay. And then we'll go back and unpack. And let's talk about that, the Bonanos, and then later on the families in Hamilton and how they're connected to Buffalo. Because you need like a, it's like a, um, you need to have like the cork board with like you, the, yeah, you need like a, the, uh, a Venn diagram. <laughs> right, right. But let's, let's start off with what's, what just, Broke, and so, then we'll walk it back. Uh, part of this is me piggy, piggybacking off of other reporting, uh, and I always give credit where credit is due. And um, initial word of this story started to circulate a year or two ago uh, by Adrian Humphreys, who's one of the best in the business when yeah, it comes to yeah, uh, chronicling a crime in Canada. But my reporting uh, expanded it and gave it some more context. So one of the casualties in this, I call it the Great Canadian Mafia War, uh, took place uh, in the fall of 2018. And it was the murder of a Hamilton, Ontario real estate agent and suspected mob associate, possible mob soldier um, named Albert Ivoroni. Uh, he was killed in his driveway coming home uh, after a night uh, on the town with some buddies. Uh, his wife and two kids were were in the house and, and called 911. He was uh, declared dead at the scene. Um, so at first, and, it, and I shouldn't say at first, the, the belief is that his murder is tied directly to all of this instability that, that we're discussing. From Montreal... When the war started to spread into Ontario, by the late 2000s, it was, you know, firmly planted into, into the Hamilton uh, underworld, where the Musitano crime family, uh, who ha has traditionally had a affiliation with uh, the guys in Buffalo, uh, the Megadinos, the... Uh, the Musitano crime family came under siege in the same way that the Rizzuto crime family came under siege. Um, and the Musitanos for 20 years had been aligned with the Rizzutos. Um, they, the, the Musitano brothers, although they came from a long mafia lineage, um, they too took power via a, a bloody coup. In the late 90s, uh, they killed uh, a, a gangster by the name of Johnny Papalia uh, to take over the Hamilton underworld. And the Musitanos were connected to Ivoroni. Musitanos both were assassinated, um, I believe, 2017 and 2020, respectively. Angelo Musitano and Pat Musitano. So... In between the Musitano brothers' murders, Angelo was killed first, uh, I believe, in seventeen. Uh, in his in his driveway, Pat was killed a year or two ago in a uh, the parking lot of a furniture store in uh, Burlington. I think two thousand nineteen. Pat was killed. Pat was killed in nineteen. Yeah. Oh, okay. So in between Angelo Musitano and and. Pat Musitano being murdered. I'm sorry. He he survived that assassination attempt. You were right. He, he survived in that hit, and then, and then he was hit um, in 2020. Right. So they, That's what I said. Yeah, initially. sorry. Okay. So, you were right. So 17 and 20. Yep. So in between, well, both Angelo and Pat Musitano survived 
attempts on their lives through, you know, from 2000, I want to say from 2015, 16, uh, until both of them were dead. And, and a lot of uh, experts in Canada were calling them dead men walking. Um, so <laughs> right after Ivoroni pops up dead in uh, September of 08, or sorry, September of 18, apologies, the the FBI and the federal authorities in Canada, the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, start looking into a theory that Ivoroni had in the, in the days before he was murdered had traveled to LA, uh, Los Angeles with his family and went to Disneyland. Um, and at some point in the week of Labor Day 2018, left his family and went and got inducted into the L.A. Mafia uh, crime family by a reputed L.A. mob don Tommy Gambino at the request of, I don't have specifics on this, members of the New York Mafia. I'm assuming coming from either the Gambinos or the Bananos. Um and that this series of events upset Joe Todaro in Buffalo, the, the current mob boss of Buffalo. My sources are not telling me in any way, shape, or form that Joe Todaro was involved in Ivoroni's murder. They're saying he was upset by it, but that the murder was uh, a result of, of the ongoing strife in, in Canada. But one of the groups in one of these many groups that are fighting for power in Canada that Ivoroni was connected with, him and his brother, um, according to my sources, uh, they have a connection to New York, and they couldn't make him into New York, so they arranged for him to be made into L.A. so he could travel in the United States and in Canada on behalf of of this Ontario group um, and say that he has a, a an American button and travel as like a representary. So interesting. Because I, I can't help but wonder. But this guy's a real estate agent. Right. Like he has no criminal record. <laughs> and we talked about this with Buffalo last episode and L.A. came up because of the joint, you know, the Herbie Blitzstein story. You can go back and listen to that episode. We, we wondered if there's ever anything even left of the L.A. crime family, and we, we did acknowledge if there is, then Tommy Gambino is probably yeah. involved somehow if there is anything left. And I can't help but wonder, even if this is true that, that he was inducted, I still can't help but wonder, was that just dressing for like— Was it, ceremonial? Was it just ceremonial? <laughs> ceremonial just and what are you being inducted give into? Him his formal papers. I don't really believe that there is an organization <laughs> That's in, what I mean. in California. <laughs> right. There are made guys in California. Sure. Tommy, Tommy Gambino, you know, the way I have referred to him in my article is, is reputed. He's never been convicted of being a organized crime leader of the, uh, the mafia in California, although— in the two thousand, he in the two thousands, he was identified in a, in a report to uh, the Senate um, from congressional hearings yeah. that he was a quote unquote underboss, underboss yeah. of of uh, the, the L A crime family. And I think that was coming from LAPD. I think that's where yeah. that intel was coming from. But I don't really believe there's a formal structure there. 
So I referred to him as kind of the the, the, the not kind of I referred to him as the de facto head of the remnants of the Dragna crime family, which was the traditional LA mafia. Um, but I don't think he's got capos or right. uh, maybe he might have an underboss for whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't think he has a, a fully formed organization. Um, I, I what I, I know for sure, and, and I guess this is somewhat neither here nor there, but maybe not. I know for sure that all five families in New York have representatives in L.A. And Tommy Gambino, whatever whatever his status is in L.A., I mean, he, he claims he's just an entrepreneur and whatever. But if he is involved in these things, he's a in terms of a biology. I mean, he's he's con- as connected yeah. as you can get. So his dad <laughs> his was uncles, his, his dad was Rosario yeah. Gambino, one of the original Cherry Hill Gambinos. He's talking about an OG. <laughs> yeah, who got deported? He's still alive, Rosario. Yeah, uh, got deported uh, to Italy to, in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, it was not long ago. Yeah, um, his his uncle John Gambino was one of the the bosses of the Gambino crime family up until he died a couple years ago. He was on the the ruling uh, ruling panel. Yeah. And uh, his first cousin or his second cousin was the Gambino uh, Don, uh, Frankie Boy Cali, who was killed in a bizarre uh, assassination a couple years ago that really had nothing to do with organized crime. It was a, a, a ex-boyfriend of his niece who was mentally unstable and, and, and murdered him uh, out of some uh, belief that he was, you know, doing God's work or, or whatever. And he was, uh, he's related to Lorenzo Menino, who's right. pr- arguably now the, maybe the street boss yeah, right now. And, him and Dom Cephalou yeah, are, are, are running the, the Gambinos, which has, again, we could go down this rabbit hole, but let's try not to. Uh, the Gambino crime family right now is being and has been run by the Sicilian wing uh, of that organization now going on uh, 10, 15 years. The Gotti uh, strong, stronghold. On, on that crime family has waned considerably, even though uh, Gene Gotti got out of prison uh, a couple years ago. And he's related to the um, Inzerillos, uh, right. Giovanni Inzerillo, who's the the prince, the uh, in um, uh, Paso di Regano and Toretta, those parts of Palermo that are that's the Gambi. You know, there was a bus not long ago, and you look at the names; it's the same yep. names: Dimaggio, Inzerillo, Gambino. Same names. He's related to all those guys, so he's a well-positioned dude. If he is involved in this, he's a well-positioned dude. And I also want to make a note of Adrian Humphrey's reporting, which uh, I diverge a little bit from, and my sources uh, dispute Adrian's timeline. Um, or the timeline that the documents that Adrian presents in his reporting, um, the, the the timeline that that would, uh, uh, what you'd subscribe to if you were basing your opinion off those documents. So Humphrey's first report, he, I don't think it had anything to do with the New York families requesting, and it didn't name Tommy Gambino, but it said that uh, Ivoroni had traveled to California and had been, quote unquote, straightened out. Um, and the, the 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 straightening out upset Tadaro. Uh, as we said before, Hamilton has always been under the the Buffalo crime family's um, leadership. Uh, but his timeline's slightly different because the the informant report that he's quoting from was penned in 2017, a year before Ivoroni. Mm. Uh, ends up dead. So 
So he was already straightened out. The I don't know. Time got, my, yeah. that, that's not what my sources are saying. Yeah, I got this it, is so. this is the yeah. This is where we're getting kind of granular and into the weeds. My sources are saying yeah. he went to L.A. And, and this is confirmed. He did go to California mm-hmm. the the week of Labor Day. Yeah, uh, which was September third. He was murdered on September thirteenth. Yeah. Um. We know that he went with his family to Disneyland, uh, in 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 L.A. We don't know for sure if he was inducted then. Mm-hmm. Or my sources are saying he was inducted then. Right. If you're looking at both stories, uh, which with which have a you know um, diverging narratives. Yeah. His his story is implying uh, that it happened a year before that, and that I guess uh, if if I haven't talked to Adrian, but I guess if Adrian was standing behind that report, he would say that it just happened that Ivoroni had gone to California. I see. The week before. I see. Which was a, which would make sense, I guess, if he was made in California a year before that, that he'd be traveling back and forth from California. I, my sources are saying that that there that there could be a, and I, as crazy as this sounds, you think that everything that the government you know reports and and documents and and you know you, you think that everything would be perfectly time stamped and <laughs> no, but, you know I, I I tend to believe that the the report that Humphreys was quoting from. Had a had a mistaken date. That's could that could be yeah. I mean we know that that's happened before. Um, and also it's interesting if 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 they did if if New York did reach out the time again, you know, and say we we want this guy straightened out because you know we we want to get our hands in Hamilton. It wouldn't be the first time that crime families in the United States used Tommy Gambino as like a, a liaison. To open up this Pandora's box, remember Philadelphia. That's who John Stamfo was communicating yeah. well, with. The, well, the, the Gambino's <laughs> right. clan, the clan. Yeah, and he and, and Tommy he, Gambino at that point was a kid. Uh, no, it, but I think it was. I think it was him who who he was talking. He was young, but I think that's who Stamfo was talking to. You mean in in the late '80s when he was taking power in Philadelphia, or are you talking about in the late '70s when they no, were maneuvering no, no, to get no. rid of Bruno? No, during the, when Stanford was holding on a when Merlino was challenged. Oh, well, challenging. that makes sense. Yeah, because I don't think Tommy Gambino got out to LA until the mid '90s. Yeah, he he. There's on surveillance tapes. Okay, yeah. Stanford's telling Tommy. Okay. I need help from New York. You need. Like tell your the Gambinos uncle, tell need, your dad. To, right, need to send soldiers. And at first he says, "Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it." And then later on, when Stan was like, "Okay, what's up?" Tommy Gambino's like, oh, "We can't, we can't get involved." Which is sort of really interesting, like the diplomatic part of it. So he he would have been very young right then, but not not necessarily a kid. But he would have been pretty young at that point. But but again, just to clarify what Humphreys was reporting, he did not say this that a request had come in from New York, right? And he did not name Tommy Gambino. You just said Ivoroni had been straightened out in L.A. So where does the the Tommy Gambino that comes from? Just that your- my sources okay. are telling me that it was yeah. Tommy Gambino that made him, and that the, the 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 people in New York reached out to Gambino on behalf of yeah. Ivoroni. Okay, so it's just a fascinating story, and so. But I don't have specifics on who in New York. Of course, of course. So let's let's go back and unpack this because in terms of why. Would Tadaro be annoyed by this, if that's true? Mm-hmm. It seems plausible that he would be annoyed by this. Not necessarily that he did anything about it, but that he was annoyed by yeah, it. So I don't believe that Joe, I mean, Joe Tadaro is a lot of things. And I'm not even going to d- uh, dismiss the, the notion that Joe Tadaro, uh, at an earlier time in his life, had some involvement in murder conspiracies. But I, I'm 
fairly confident in saying that Joe Todaro is smart enough at this point in time where there hasn't been a mob murder in Buffalo in 20 plus years. And I, I just don't believe Joe Todaro would, would uh, order a murder over a slight like that. But there were people, and, and I'm going to turn it over to Jimmy, there were people that were implying that from what I wrote, and I had to clarify that. Yeah, I mean, here's why I think he would be annoyed, and we'll, we'll go back and unpack this. So you have the different families we've already talked about, Rizzuto, and um, my understanding is that the Musitano clan operating in Hamilton may have technically fallen under Magadino regime. They were never the ones who were on good terms, with, or uh, I should say cozy terms with the— they were always closer to the Calabrese— the Andragata, and it was the Lupino family and the Papalia family who were actually inducted members of the Magadino Borgata. And as you point out, when the Musitanos take them out, because they sense weakness on the part of Buffalo, they're just going to take Hamilton to themselves. You don't even have to report to Buffalo anymore. Um, I think part of the— Then they went in the line with Rizzuto. They were aligned with the Sicilians in Montreal— once all that shit goes down in Montreal that we talked about, the Rizzutos are, on, are, are you know, fighting for their lives, literally. But this is 10 years before that. The Masatanos took power in 97. Right. And there, I know that there were a number of surveillance logs, pictures, videos of uh, Rizzuto coming to yeah. Buffalo. Or sorry, Rizzuto coming to Hamil Hamilton. Right. And sitting with the Musitanos. So this is really interesting because this is this this is represents a moment. And I believe he showed up at Mus at one of the Musitanos' thirtieth birthday. Party. Yeah, I remember reading that one of the Canadian books about war crime. But um, the Rizzutos around this same time might have been a little bit later, but are eventually secede from the Bonanno crime family. Yeah, no, I think it is. No, it is the same time. <laughs> right, and then so most of the towns are trying to do the same thing in it's Hamilton. It's in the late 90s yeah. that they're moving away. By from two, New York. <laughs> by 2000, I would say that the Rizzutos are, are standing on their yeah. own two feet and don't need any uh, go-ahead from yeah. the Bonanos to do anything. Right, so they're happy to form this alliance with Mustatano and push Buffalo and just basically just push New York out of Canada altogether. Uh, whether it's Buffalo in, in Ontario or the Bananos out of Quebec. But it gets even more confusing because who's alleged to be Joe Todaro's underboss right now? Dom Violi. Right. Dom Violi is, <laughs> this is for people that don't know this, I, I understand it gets really confusing. But Dom Violi and his brother Joe, who are alleged to be major players in the Buffalo Mafia right now, had to take refuge in Hamilton because the Rizzutos yeah. had killed their father right? back in the 70s. Right. They were sent from Montreal to Hamilton to come under the protection of— Not Musitano, though. Papalia and Lupino. Yeah. Who the Musitanos don't like. Right. So it's confusing, but it does make sense because Violi, they were always— they were going to be protected in Hamilton— Basically by the Magadino family. and uh, But in terms of on the streets, it would have been Lupino and mm -hmm. Papalia. Papalia. So, and the Musitanos are married into the Lupinos. Oh, they're, re they're related to each other. Yeah. 
Because I'm my understanding is they're, sure. they're on opposite sides of this. Oh, okay. But that could I mean, hold on, I could be wrong. But that sometimes that doesn't matter. <laughs> sometimes there are it, clans that are intermarried. I, I could be mistaken. I, I thought that one of the Musitanos was married to the a Lupino. I mean, you can you can find uh, you can find examples of this. I mean, this is not. I mean, if you look in if you look at the stuff in my book, but about I digress. The, the the Bucciolato Magadino blood feud. There were Bucciolatos and Magadinos who were married together to each other. It didn't stop. It didn't stop the blood feud. Or I, I think that's what they were trying to do, but it, it wasn't successful. But anyhow, um, I think that it's no coincidence that once Rizzuto is weakened in Montreal, the remnants of the Violi Papalia Buffalo faction decides now. We're taking back Hamilton <laughs> to the Musitanos. You don't. You're not protected by Rizzuto anymore. We're we're taking back Hamilton. Right. Which means, if that's true, then Tadaro is going to view this as an affront. If like I'm taking back Hamilton, I don't need New York guys. <laughs> we we yeah. just got rid of the Rizzutos and Musitanos. We don't need New York guys coming in here. Right, uh, and uh, complicating things, let us say. So it is complicated, but in some ways it makes sense, at least in my own <laughs> fucked up head. <laughs> Remember Junior, that fucked up head of his? <laughs> Either take it with a grain of salt, I guess. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I'm not going to say that this definitely happened. I'm saying that this is being invested, this theory is being investigated uh, by the people that are uh, in investigating those murders, um, not just the murder of Ivoroni, but the, the murders of the Musitanos. Um, so well, let me ask you something else here, though. Were, were the Violis, at this point, we're talking about them in Hamilton. The initial conspiracy against the Rizzutos, we, we've identified Desjardins and, and Sal Montagna was... For all for all intent and purpose, he seemed to have been like a rogue player at this point. Like he wasn't sanctioned by New York. It doesn't seem like it. If anyone has a vendetta against the Rizzutos, it's Violi. Were they somehow? Were they somehow? For personal reasons, not not business reasons, personal reasons involved in those assassinations, or was it just their? They got the best of both worlds. They get, they get rid of guys that they don't like because of historical stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm, and then they can also take Hamilton. I'm looking at this, and, and I, I got confused, and I'm sure our audience gets confused sometimes when we start throwing around all these uh, names and alliances. But, yeah, they're, they're, the Masantanos and the Lupinos were rivals. That's what I thought. And there was, I guess, talk in the late 90s that the guy that killed Johnny Papalia for them, the hitman, the Irish hitman that they hired, was who flipped, told the Royal Canadian Mounted Police that Pat Musitano was also trying to off two of the Lupinos and the Violi brothers. Yeah, right. And then just— This was back in, yeah. like, 99, Yeah, because they were, they were always aligned with Buffalo. Yeah. And, uh, and, and even the, you know— Okay, so— it's a bit, so that makes it more clear, at least for me. Yeah, I think so. But so, but yeah. were the Violis also involved in the intrigues in Montreal, or do you think, you know, what I'm saying because they had they 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 killed Rizzuto's killed their dad and their uncles. Yeah, so they would have had a personal yeah. beef. 
I don't know if they would have had operationally, if they could have pulled that off, but they definitely, I'm sure they weren't crying any like crocodile tears about <laughs> Rizzuto's all getting taken so out. So the Rizzuto's took out uh, Joe and Dom's dad, Paolo, right. uh, in a gangland hit in his social club, I believe 1978. Um, and before that, the Rizzuto's had had to leave Montreal and relocate to Venezuela. Right. That's right. And then by killing uh, Paolo Violi, they were able to come back and, and plant their flag right. in, in Montreal. Yeah, um, which in a lot of ways, there was the best thing that happened to the Rizzutos because their time in Venezuela, they established, that's where they established all their drug cartel with South American drug cartel. So it ended up being a very lucrative uh, so let's, hiatus. Let's also... Um, get into the fact that there is a major, major murder trial going on right now in Montreal uh, of a reputed hitman uh, named Dominic Scarfo, um, who is accused of murdering the Rizzuto successors. So after all the Rizzutos are gone, um, two of their top lieutenants, uh, Rocco Solicito, uh, who went by the uh, the nickname Sauce, and Lorenzo Giordano, who went by the nickname The Skunk, uh, who were Vito's top guys that weren't his uh, father or son um, or his brother-in-law. They were both uh, murdered in the same, I think, six months to a year in 2017. The, uh, the Crown in, in Canada is pointing the fingers at Scarfo. Scarf was on trial right now. Um, the belief is that he got the contract uh, from the Scapa brothers. Uh, on uh, Salvatore, I believe, and, and Andrew Scapa. Um, and, and, and that's going on right now. So in addition to my reporting uh, about Ivoroni and us kind of uh, doing a, a historical giving you an historical blueprint of, of how this started and where we're at right now, you know, the, the, the wheels of justice are, are churning and burning in Montreal right now. And they're getting to the bottom of some of this stuff. And also I think the ethnicity is always important right away. When you said Scarfo, that's not Sicilian name. So right away, Calabrese, that's, that's Calabrian Scarfo. So right away, I suspected Andragata and, and the, the reporting here says that he's, he's, probably connected yeah to so it get it so but what's interesting is it's it just gets so complicated as you already point out but the musitanos are andragata violi and lapino even though they're cosa nostra they're they're members of a sicilian crime organization because they are collaborating themselves they also have their own connections to Andragata, not not in like a formal membership yeah. way, but they have. So the Calabrians aren't necessarily always united either. Just like the Sicilians fight amongst themselves, um, it, it just you you really need like a, a, a roadmap, a, a roadmap, right, to to sort out the ethnic and regional differences. And it also gives you kind of a newfound, or at least from a, a socioeconomic perspective, or you know, we're study we study this stuff for a living. It gives you a newfound perspective with for what Vito and his dad, Nicolo Rizzuto, 
were able to do for 25 years. Yeah. Keep a lid on all this. Um, 30 years. Yeah. And keep everyone happy. And again, like, unlike, not to say that mafia groups in America don't work with other ethnic factions, because they do, but it's not as, you know, par for the course as it is in Canada. And and he was really the consummate mob politician. He was able to get along with everybody, the Haitians, the bikers, the Irish. Right. Um, and, and they would go to him uh, to, to, resu- to resolve their disputes. Yeah. The, the state, during the big biker war there, the state, not the actual, con- the government yeah. went to resolve and said, you have to intervene. You're the only one they're going to listen to so because he, they, we can't have bodies spilling all over the so street. This, this guy, you know, and his family, they, they really, they built the Roman Empire. And now, like I said, nine, you're nine years removed from him dying. And to even say it's in shambles is an understatement. It, it doesn't really exist anymore. I, I, I mean, there, yeah. there are parts of it that are still standing. I know his one of his sons, uh, is a, who's an attorney, is yeah. alleged to be running part of it. And there's yeah. one or two of his old lieutenants that are still yeah, around. Yeah, there can't be many guys left. But, I mean, they, they, all the manpower yeah. was eliminated. All the leadership. I mean, 99%. Of yeah. of every nut and bolt yeah. and lever, and you know, and not incarcerated whole, but killed, right? Killed, right? <laughs> it's pretty bloody. Um, so I, I I don't know. What do you make of that? Like that? It'd be like I think for to to analogize it to the United States, and I know that the the the. The span of time is less, the 25, 30 years, as opposed to, you know, maybe 100 years of a, a American mafia family or 80 years, 70 years. The crime families were created in 1931. But this would be like if in 10 years from now, well, I guess, that's a bad example. Too. This would be like if 10 years ago, the one of the five families just disappeared. Yeah, It'd be like if, you know, starting in 2010... There was a war in the Bananos, and then in, in 2022, there was no Banano crime family anymore. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, well, there is no Rizzuto crime family. No, and it, and if it and if there is, you know, uh, if there is something that is a shell or a shadow, it, it doesn't even deserve to be put in the same right category of what it was at its peak. But they, but they, if you if we talk about them formally as an independent Borgata. They actually didn't have a long run right. in that regard. Yeah. Because they even in the early 90s, they were still technically sending right. tribute to, right, to right, New right, York. Right. So they were always like a Montreal faction. And and like but but, it was a, maybe it was a microwave. But, but even even though they kept even though they, they had stability, they made enemies along the way. Even even New York. The Rosudos did not like the beginning of the end of their breakup with the Bananos. They did not like George from Canada when Messino Whack George for that Rizzuto was hella pissed about that, and that was like the beginning of the end where Rizzuto was like, you know, fuck this. Well, so let me <laughs> you know, give people some yeah, uh, go, yeah, some, some background in that. Yeah, Gerlando uh, uh, Chacha. I don't, I don't know how to Chacha. Chacha. Yeah, uh, was a. I believe he would have been considered a capo 
He was a, he was the official captain in in the Bonanno crime family. Yeah. He lived in New York, but they called him George from Canada. He's a Sicilian guy because he he came from the the, the uh, Rizzuto clan. Yeah, actually was with Vito uh, while he participated in the Three Capos hit. Yeah, um, in nineteen eighty one, and had become one of Joe Massino's uh, top lieutenants. Yeah, was running a crew, and he seemed the, like a popular guy, like you know, well liked. That sort of thing. And Messino, who was, you know, really the last Don. Um, you know, there's Barney Belomo now, uh, who, who's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, of the Gen- the leader of the Genovese crime family. But really, the last real New York mafia boss yeah, was, school, was yeah. Joe Messino. And he, he became the first New York mafia boss to become a cooperator. Yeah. And he's living out his final years now somewhere in witness protection. And and uh, but but Joe Massino in the 1990s was the most powerful mob boss in America. Yeah. And uh, in 1998, he got ostensibly uh, put a murder contract on uh, George from Canada's head because he felt that uh, George from Canada was being. Uh, subversive mm-hmm. or was chiming in with leadership advice that it was unsolicited. Messino didn't <laughs> want to hear and didn't right. agree with. Right. Uh, questioning some of his appointments. I, I think specifically yeah. they point to um, a consigliere post that yeah. Messino uh, had given to a guy named Anthony Graziano, TG, whose family are famous for being the yeah. mob wives people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, TG who I believe died recently and was shelved at the end of his life in the mafia because yeah. of the embarrassment that, sh- yeah. that they felt that that show brought. Yeah. And they were, they resented him for, I mean, what control does he have? Right. Well, yeah. They, they looked at it as like, you shouldn't have control over your daughter. Of course. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, I digress. But uh, he told Massino allegedly that the promotion that he gave to Graziano was, Wrong, yeah, and that Graziano was not trustworthy. Yeah. That Graziano was a Graziano was a, a, a cokehead. Yeah, and how can you be taking advice from a guy that is is blowing his nose all the time? Yeah, I mean, she said, I didn't ask you, right? <laughs> I didn't ask your thoughts, right? <laughs> um, and I, you know, there's always something more at play than than what's eventually given yeah. as a reason. Sure, of course, and yeah. I don't believe that that by itself no. would get George from Canada clipped. That, that was, was multifaceted. Some type of final straw sure. was this voicing of an opinion that Messino had uh, been negligent in, in appointing Graziano as a consigliere. I don't know if George from Canada was saying you should have appointed me. Right. Uh, which I guess you could interpret it as a, a, you know, the subversive or what Messino yeah. viewed as being undermining or subversive. And Messino tended to appoint people in leadership that he was really close with and felt even if they maybe didn't weren't street guys or whatever and he Messino didn't like having these like ind- not independent but you know what I'm saying like guys who are George from Canada had his own crew he had wanted his to own, have yes man he wanted to have he, yes he, man you're right him. and George from Canada had his own stature and was not which is why he fell out with his brother-in-law <laughs> Sal Vitale yeah, because yeah, he was yeah. no longer a yes man yeah the, that's right and he, so I, I I agree with you there was probably tensions building up between Messino and George from Canada. So in 1998, I believe, the spring of early spring of 98, he gives the order, uh, Messino gives the order to his his, uh, his crew 
uh, I believe in the Bronx. I can't remember, yeah. Uh, to whack out uh, George from Canada. They do it, and this is the beginning of the end for yeah, the relationship right, between the Rizzutos he's, he's and the Bananos. Right, he's, Shasha is close with the Rizzutos. And they felt like they should have, A, been consulted. Right. That they should have had to sanction it. Right. And they were not consulted at all. No. They had no say in it. And Vito Rizzuto specifically was very offended. And mm-hmm. I believe that that ended yeah. really any official relationship yeah. between the two. And I know there was also some debate in the late 90s. I've done some interviews with some Bonanno administrators. Uh, shout out to, to Richard Cantarella yeah. and some other guys uh, from that era that were saying that, uh, and I think this has been reported by, by uh Edwards and Humphreys and some of the, the cherry, some of the great uh, Canadian OC reporters that um, there had been a uh, an issue with who Montreal could make. Yeah. That Montreal wanted to make their own guys. Yeah. And the balance were saying, no, you can't make your own guys. We got to make them and you got to give us yeah. a list and we got to. Yeah. And, and I think they started making guys. The Vito Rizzuto, before the before they officially cut the cord, I believe right. Vito Rizzuto and his dad were making guys. Yeah, Messino, throughout that, the mid not, mid not to late nineties. Like, they're not like hearing those kinds of yeah. <laughs> but it actually was a bad mistake on Messino's part for a lot of reasons. He ends up in jail, but you had to think the Rizzutos were the best earners in that. I mean, the kind well, of money the, that they were not the best. They were big, bigger. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure they were, whatever they were sending to New York, I'm sure was a very lucrative they revenue the inter- term. And, 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 and revenue again, stream. another, uh, another rabbit hole, you know, dis- dispelling this notion that the mafia doesn't deal in drugs. You know, the, the Rizzuto crime family, they controlled the entire yeah, car- cocaine and marijuana market yeah. in Canada. Like a cartel. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and then, but they had construction. Right. They had all the traditional rackets, gambling, prostitution, extortion. So they were they were bringing in a lot of money. Um, I'm so, just saying though, I don't think at least in the last forty years or 30, 30 years, I don't think there's been a point when an American La Cosa Nostra crime family could say they had some huge chunk of the American drug market. Oh right, yeah. For a long time, yeah, the American mafia could say that. Yeah. Starting in the 80s, that started to dissipate. Yeah. All the way through the early 80s. Right. But yeah. by the 90s, it no. wasn't there anymore. No, for the sure. The Rizzutos controlled yeah. the cocaine and heroin and marijuana in Canada yeah. from the 80s up until 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was. At yeah, a time was, when the other American or when the other crime families in North America were losing their grip uh, on, on kind of control of the, the whole country's market. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, to a large extent, the Sicilians now, they, they, they're supplied by other groups, whether it's the Calabrians. The right. I'm not saying the, that the Italians you know. don't deal in drugs. They oh, yeah. deal in a lot of drugs. Yeah. They're just not, they no. don't have a, the market share as no. they did for, for decades. Right. Whereas Rizzuto, right, they held on to it for a lot longer Where than it, Americans. Up until, like you're saying, up into the 80s, every major city, the guys that were selling the heroin and selling the marijuana and selling the cocaine, yeah. the guys in their cities, they weren't bringing it in. No. It was they were getting usually it from Italian. the Italians, yeah. yeah. Um, so another thing that's interesting that, that's come out in this story is, because we're talking about the Bonanos, and so Violi are initially part of the Bonanno crime family. For the Rizzutos to hit them, as you point out, was that 78? Is that when you said that would happen? They would have, that would have had to have been sanctioned by New York. 
and they did sanction it. So notice the Violis don't go to New York for protection because the Bonanos basically let them hang out to dry. So they form, they're, they're in Hamilton protected by the Magadinos. Well, and, and there's some nuance here, and I'm like, if, I can, if I'm having trouble keeping this straight, I'm sure all of you guys are too, so I apologize. But uh, there's some nuance to even the Violis' control in the 70s, how they got it. Initially, the deal that was brokered between the Bonanos and Montreal through Bonanno, was, through Bonanno and Galante yeah. yeah. was through Vic Catroni. Right, yeah. Who was... The Vito Rizzuto before Vito yeah, Rizzuto. Yeah, he was like the, the original. The, God, the godfather Don. of Canada. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, right. 70s, into he died, I think, in the early 80s. I believe they were Calabrese, too. But Catroni in the 70s had taken a step back and had allowed Paolo Violi, who although was officially an underboss or a street boss, to be, be running day-to-day -day yeah. with the Canadian mafia. Yeah. So not only did the New York crime families, I believe, had to sign off on what the Rizzitos did. Catroni yeah. had to sign off on it. Because yeah. Catroni was, yeah. once the Rizzitos, Catroni was still alive still, when, the Rizzitos, right. when the Rizzitos took power. He still had influence, and yeah, yeah. that's a good point. I, didn't, yeah, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. So the Violis are on the run. So it, it's interesting that the Magadinos are the ones who offer sanctuary in Hamilton. Um, so... But another thing related to that is, as you pointed out. In, the Lupinos, too. Yeah, the Lupinos, too, is now that Buffalo or whoever is pushing back against Musatano. Maybe that's what I was confusing. Maybe one of the Violis married a Lupino. That, that would make more sense. They're yeah. traditionally aligned. So with the Rizzutos on the run, the Musatanos are vulnerable. So the pro-Buffalo people in Hamilton pushed them, right, to take back Hamilton. So much so that Dominic Violi emerges as the Soto Capo, the underboss in Buffalo. And there was some reporting. I want to get your comments on this. I don't I don't I don't know if I read this in Gangster Report. I don't I don't think so, but I can't remember. That Todaro Buffalo actually went to the commission and said, Is this okay? Because this is so unusual to have a non-American be the I didn't report that. I think that came out in all, all the coverage of Violi's. Yeah, which is also interesting because then there's like th that was interesting because not only was there like people thought the mafia was dead in Buffalo, but then there was like the commission. I didn't even know that that was. <laughs> no, that was. Still and then a the thing. comment he made, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, where he said, "I beat out thirty guys for yeah, the job." Right, right. So are you saying that there are thirty people in the crime family, or are you saying that there were thirty candidates <laughs> right, for the right, underboss? I right. I believe it's probably. The, I would think it was the yeah thirty dudes. Just just the, overall, the, the the former instead of the latter. Yeah, but. right, right. But like, but when I read that, it was like the commission. God and, damn. and what about the fact <laughs> that from the, that from those series of reports, that ceremony did not take place in Buffalo. No, it took place in Florida. In Florida, yeah. So it seems like, in some ways, New York is still the center of the universe, <laughs> even with all this stuff going on. Hamilton. Montreal, that? like New York still gets weaved into this. Let me digress one more time, but I think it's a worthy digression. I was recently sent or heard a anecdote that Sammy the Bull Gravano gave about meeting Todaro, Joe Todaro. Oh, really? Big Joe, um, who we've talked about on this episode. We haven't introduced him as much as we did a couple episodes ago, but for those that might not have heard, Joe Todaro is the 
alleged boss of the Buffalo Mafia, took over from his dad, uh, who was the boss before him. But uh, Big Joe Todaro has no criminal record, and he is the owner and proprietor of one of the biggest uh, Buffalo Wing uh, pizza franchises on the East Coast called yeah. La Nova, and really is credited in the world of, uh, you know, food history as the La Nova people, which were him and his dad, with bringing buffalo wings yeah. to the to the, to the rest of the country. Yeah. And now buffalo wings are a, a staple at oh, every single bar, every restaurant. Yeah. And a lot of people trace uh, the, 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 the nationwide popularization to La Nova, uh, uh, getting deals with um, grocery store chains, uh, yeah, for, in the 80s yeah, and 90s foods, where they, right. they put it out uh, outside of Western New York. But uh, Big Joe Todaro, you know, works at Lenovo and is a pretty prominent member of the legitimate yeah. community he in Buffalo. He doesn't hide. He's a pretty public dude. Well, and Lenovo has uh, sponsorship deals with the Buffalo Bills <laughs> and the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. So anyway – He's he's adamant that he has nothing to do with organized crime and that the mafia is a uh, is a myth. Yeah, and uh, the really the only thing that you can point to other than the government claiming that he was at one time an underboss to his dad and now a boss. He's seventy four, seventy five years old. Uh, the only thing else that you can claim to other than those allegations that were, have never been proven in court are is the fact that he was kicked out of. Uh, his, the uh, his his union. Yeah, uh, he had a union, a leadership union, a, a leadership position in the Labor's United La uh, L I U N A. Yeah, Labor's International Union of whatever. Um, <laughs> back in I believe 1999 or 2000, uh, because their investigators, their private investigators, had found him connected to organized crime. And what a but none of this, thing. but none of this has been. I know. Sorry, this was a long preamble. Uh, none of these allegations have been proven in court. I just want to make sure that Mr. Todaro gets his say on the show, whether or not he's listening to oh, us sure. or not. Yeah. Um, if he was here, I'm sure he would be saying that he has nothing to do with it, and we just want to be very clear that he's never been even charged, right. really, with with racketeering activity. Yeah. Um, yeah. The labor, the laborers' international union of America. So uh, it's not like he's, you know, been brought up on charges and beat them. He's never actually been charged. So uh, that goes to his argument that, that 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 he's not a mob boss. But when you hear anecdotes like the one I'm about to tell you, it makes you think he is a mob boss. So Sammy the, Gravol, uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano told a story about uh, how him and Gotti had to get a message to lead pipe Joe Todaro, who is Big Joe's dad, um, and that they – or that Sammy the Bull went down to Florida to meet with Big Joe to pass the message or to pass a message to Lead Pipe Joe. And that it, the way that the meeting took place was on the beach in the ocean and both wearing bathing suits and Joe Todaro saying, we're going to swim out away from the uh, beach and we're going to have our conversation in the middle of the ocean. And I guess they, there was some way that Gravano explained to Daro, like positioning them in the water. So like in Todaro's mind, they couldn't like beam a, like a high 
high sound yeah. uh, equipment or something. <laughs> and yeah. they had some conversation in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean in Florida to uh, for, for Sammy giving a message to Big Joe to send back to his dad. And this wow. is Sammy telling the story about, you know, this is all I know about Big Joe. Was yeah. that we had to get, me and John, me and John Gotti, had to get a message to his dad. And we were told to meet him in Florida. And he took me out in the middle of the water. Yeah. And that's how, he was talking about how cautious. Yeah, sure. Big Joe is. Yeah. Well, and you know what, you know what those guys would say? They would, they would say probably like, hey, listen, uh, was my dad a saint? No. Did I make some, uh, you know, mistakes in my past? Uh, what, you know, who hasn't? But right now, today. I'm the pizza and chicken wing yeah, guy, yeah. right? So, you know, they, they could easily <laughs> deflect to that. Me, you know, again, uh, this whole episode is filled with digressions. But uh, to to jump down a quick Detroit rabbit hole, um, the Tadaro father and son mob tag team, if you will, alleged mob tag team uh, of Lead Putt Joe and Big Joe did quite a bit of business in Detroit with the Tokos um, in the late 70s, early 80s, in an effort to get uh, a casino off the ground and uh, robbed of <laughs> uh, the Edgewater Casino. Oh, right. Uh, which was in Laughlin, or Laughlin uh, Nevada, uh, about 90 miles from Las Vegas. And Detroit had been kicked out of ownership of first the Frontier, then the Aladdin, and then right after they got booted from the Aladdin in, like, 78, they started looking to build their own casino. Um, and they got in bed with the Buffalo mob and the Chicago mob um, to help make that a reality. And uh, I have a number of FBI surveillance logs that I got via Jack Toko's. Jack Toko was the godfather of the Detroit Mafia for 40 years. Uh, when he died, I FOIA'd his FBI file. It's now been eight years, and every six months or to a year, I'll get a, a batch of documents. And uh, in in the first batch, I believed, or either the first or the second batch, had a big, big, big chunk of the paperwork devoted to the Tadaros uh, being followed uh, from Buffalo to Detroit and back. Uh, on at least a half a dozen occasions uh, between, let's say, 78 and 80. And uh, who was taking them where, where they were staying. Um, in fact, uh, tied into where we are right now, they were staying at the Southfield um, Sheridan, which is on, we're at, fit right now in Detroit, me and Jimmy are at like uh, 15 in Woodward. Southfield Sheridan was at like, It was off of, it was right by Northland. So it's like seven, eight miles from here. Yeah. It's not far. So how did the Detroit guys? It was off nine miles. I think it was off, it was off nine miles. Like right when you, when you're on nine mile, you pass, you're going west and you pass over Greenfield before you hit the um, expressway after what the province, what, after what Providence Hospital is right now was the old uh, Southfield Sheridan. How did the Detroit guys how do you think Toko and them met the Tadaros? How did they get to know them? I'm sure uh, Joe Zarelli and Black Bill Toko, the, the founding fathers of the Detroit mob, and, and Jack's father and uh, uncle, I'm sure they knew the Magadinos well. I'm sure they knew Lead Pipe Joe pretty well. Um, 
I don't know if they knew Big Joe when they were flying in in 1980 when Big Joe was 40 years old or 35 years old. Yeah, because back in the, if you really go far back to like the the Crosstown Mob War, Maranzano and Magadino, they were backing Zerilli and Toco yeah. against Chester Lamare, who was, who was backed by Masseria right. and Capone. So I know that they were um, doing a lot of their uh, dinner meetings at Larco's. Not uh, the old Mar- the old Larco's on like Seven Mile, um, which was a, a famous Italian restaurant around here for a while. It was in the suburbs for a little bit. Now there's kind of different versions of it, but the original place that a lot of these Detroit wise guys used to hang out at was uh, was off Seven Mile. And uh, if I if my memory serves, they would fly into Detroit. They'd get picked up by. Uh, a Detroit mob soldier. I'm thinking it was Sammy Giordano. Um, I have it written in my notes. He's a Jack Loney guy, right? Yeah. And uh, was kind of ferried around uh, by Giordano, and uh, you know they would drive him to the hotel, and then they would pick him up and drive him to the uh, to the meeting, and then back to the hotel, and then back to the airport. It's interesting, Buffalo, like uh, all these tentacles, like. Uh... But at that time, just to, just so people understand, at that time, it was before the Tadaros had taken over as bosses. Yeah. So at that point, Lead Pipe Joe was a capo, and Big Joe was probably a soldier. Who was the boss at that point then? In the late 70s. Pieri, Frangiamori. Um, they went through a couple guys before Lead Pipe Joe took it over in the early 80s. But I think he was kind of being groomed in the late 70s. Like, everyone knew that he was going to be the next guy. But they're, they're tacticals. I mean, we did the Buffalo episode a few weeks ago. I mean, Canada, Detroit, Vegas, L.A. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a kind of an underappreciated <laughs> borgata, and you then, know? And then probably just being in Vegas, having the, the ownership and the, the Aladdin in the frontier, like, you don't think they were interacting with Magadinos? That were coming into town. Yeah, yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, you want to wrap up? Yeah, this was good. Um, and what I would say again is please follow us on social media and uh, interact with us. Tell us what you want to hear. You wanted to hear a Boston, New England episode? We just dropped it today. We're uh, really excited about what we got coming up here in the next couple months. Um, we can't go into all the details, but I, I'm positive that the reaction is going to be you know, medio, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do something that that you know really shakes the foundation of OG uh, podcasts, where we're gonna be able to give you a, a product that is both audio and video. Yeah, and, more uh, content for sure. And uh, we're gonna have a lot, hopefully, a lot more resources and opportunities to do um, remotes and giveaways, and uh, just uh, we're just growing. We're growing, and and stretching our legs and, and making big strides. And it's all because of you guys, giving you guys the content that, that you want and you deserve. And uh, we're just really excited about what we have coming down the pike. And we'll be able to share more in the next couple of weeks. But uh, be expecting uh, by the summertime at the very latest to be having a, uh, you know, to see our, our smiling faces and, on YouTube. And uh, shout out to uh, my esteemed colleague here, Bernie. He's, he's out there. 
moving and shaking with some people who want to be in the original gangsters podcast business. <laughs> so he's 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 well, a, I don't, I don't, some people that, that want to get involved. So. I don't have a problem telling people, and this might be the first time we've ever really talked about it, and I don't know how much I want to talk about it, but I have no problem just right off the bat telling people that what we're trying to build is bigger than the OG podcast. And and one of the people I'll just say we're this, trying to build an OG network an OG universe right and this isn't fair to tease because I can't I'm, I can't say what it is but someone that Bernie's met with in the underworld <laughs> imagine the biggest person you can think of and it's bigger yeah. <laughs> it's bigger than that person but we can't get into it yeah, hopefully we'll have we'll have some news to announce in the, in the near future could be really special and it could just grow this brand uh, where obviously the podcast will always be you know the centerpiece the bedrock but there just could be a lot of great content that we could add and be diversified and and, and be, you know, the way I kind of want to explain it to people is, you know, be the ESPN of true crime. Yeah, so a lot of good things. Or, or uh, Barstool. Or, for sure, a lot of good things on the horizon. Uh, follow us on social media. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato. Scott Bernstein. We're out. We're out.